Welcome to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Are you curious about technology, innovation, and how you can stay ahead? Then you've come to the right place. In our series, we tap into the minds of people behind innovation. This podcast is brought to you by LR's Product Development and Innovation Center. Hi, I'm Linda Garrett, Director of Brand and Communications at Walters Kluwer, based in New York City, and your host of the RU Future Ready podcast. Today, we'll talk about innovation, trends, and tips on what you can do to become future ready with our guests who are both joining us from the Netherlands. Martin O'Malley, Executive Vice President and Managing Director of the Legal and Regulatory Division, and Rohier Kriegsman, Vice President of Product Engineering at Legal and Regulatory's Digital Experience Group. Welcome to the podcast, Martin and Rohier. Hi, Linda. Good afternoon. Hey, Linda. Great to be here. Hi. Great. Um, so I'd like to uh, dispel a myth up front. Uh, a lot of times people think about innovation and think you need to have a degree in computer science if you want to innovate. So I'd love to start off think, uh, talking to you a little bit about, you know, where did you go to university? What did you study? Just tell us a little bit about how your careers uh, evolved. Yeah, let me start, Linda. Um, so I, I grew up on a, on a farm in the west of Ireland with actually no ambition to study at all. Um, my ambition was to be a carpenter and a part-time farmer. But I, um, I ended up going to college by accident and um, I studied electronics and um, quality management for four years. And I actually, you know, I, I fell into um, IBM, uh, so a little bit in the technology space for a couple of years, but that wasn't really my thing. I moved very quickly into that to the more business side. And at a certain point when I kind of found my path and my ambition, uh, I did an MBA at the Rotterdam School of Management, which is part of the Erasmus University in Rotterdam. As it happens, where Rohir also studied, I discovered yesterday. And, um, you know, my career really has been probably not really based in technology, but much more on the business side. But I've always felt that I've had the uh, technology foundation. Yeah, for me, I... I <laughs> For me, it's almost the same thing. Very, very weird career to end up in, uh, in, in, in tech even, if you will. So as Martin said, stu studied business administration. And after that, actually, my first job was in my hometown in Delft to work for a tax and accounting software company called Exact Software, where this was a long time ago. I'm not even going to tell you how long ago, but uh, uh, where I was the first e-business consultant that's that's time e-business was still very hot and you know the internet thing came out and wow what do we do with it and uh, I, I literally went explaining what e-business and what the internet what the future would be and i've basically ended up in kind of a sales role a support role for our sales departments for for tax and accounting software but just then from an internet perspective from there on i took a even though a, a weirder turn although when you're in your early 20s not so much of a weird turn I got offered a job in the Caribbean region as a regional sales manager, and uh, you know, which you know, 21 year old or 22 year old wouldn't take that job, and I basically uh, became sales, and uh, did that for a couple of years. But then, you know, the island life does get very, very wary on you. I mean, you you keep running and bumping into the same people. So I went back to Europe, joined KPMG Consulting. Uh, did a few international gigs for them, and um, then actually the consulting 
part of KPMG got sold to a company called Atos Origin, where Walter Schluer actually was one of their clients. So um, I ended up at Walter Schluer actually through that consulting gig and um, was offered a job to really help out on, uh, I think it was at the time, on content and content transformation even, if you will. So uh, yeah, that's how I ended up at Walter Schluer. That's how I actually ended up from really a sales to consulting to tech. Um, despite all, obviously always having worked in the tech industry, so my 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 job at this, in the Caribbean was uh, was at AT and T Global Network Services. So it was all all tech already. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, from a guy uh, coming from a completely different origin, ending up at Walter Schluer doing tech. That's how I ended up here. It's interesting just listening to here because I actually started um, in in publishing. Um, the majority of my career has been in publishing. And I started at the point when pretty much everything in in in, in uh, publishing was non-technology related. It was all paper. And I guess over the last 24 year, years, it has made the complete shift from print to digital. And I've been part of that journey. So, you know, I, I started in, in my study with some technology with not a huge affinity for technology, but I've kind of wound up with technology has been a, a red thread that has kind of woven its way through my whole career. So it's been been an interesting journey. Let's go ahead and segue a bit uh, to the here and now and the future outlook. Um, when we look at innovation happening right now, what are you most curious about? And you know, what innovations are you excited about? Yeah, let, let me take that one, Linda. I think, um, so product innovations always intrigue me. I think uh, especially technologies that transform uh, what we do and the and you know for example the impact of machine learning or natural language processing uh, extracting insights from information at a speed and scale that was never possible in the past um i also marvel at things that my kids take for granted i i have a, a number of teenagers in the house who you know um take it for granted that you can do your online banking with an app that you um the way that Netflix uh, um, recommends the next great series that they're going to spend too much time watching. Um, and I think this is something that we probably underestimate that the ease at which we uh, as consumers engage with products is how, how much that's influencing how our customers and how our customers operate and what they expect from us. I'm also a very big fan of innovations that are just simply improving processes. So if I look at um, a very nice example in the Netherlands business, which where they take the e-commerce engine to improve the process by which our customers order books. You talk about big law firms who may have, you know, a, um, a, a large contract for us for online access, but they still they still buy books and they buy books by calling up our help desk or calling up the sales rep saying, "I want to get a, a version of book X or Y." They've taken that process, they've put it online through the e-commerce engine, which means that it's more efficient for the customer. Uh, it's more efficient for us because it saves costs, it reduces errors. So you end up having, on one hand, um, a lower cost, better service to the customer. So, you know, that's good for all parties. I mean, who would want to have that? So I, I love those type of innovations. Sometimes it's the simple things that make the big impact. And right here, from a technology perspective, uh, are there any other uh, technologies that can be applied to the legal and regulatory field, or any that you consider to be disruptive? Uh, there actually, there, there, there's, there's so, so many things that are interesting right now because technology is developing so much faster uh, than, than ever. 
But I think Martin mentioned already a, a, a lot of good ones. I think I think the ones, the technologies that really enable us to to really transform the way we we do our work. So so when you think about it, when you you look traditionally at legal and regulatory uh, type solutions, we were always a step in the workflow. We were you know our products would be used when we were going to do research. Now with our new technologies, when you look at things like open platforms, API integrations. Um, like Martin said, things like machine learning, where where not humans create the the rules, but actually computers learn to do it, um, and it's really augmenting our human expertise. That allows us now really to stick a step back and say, hey, how can we truly really help the user add value to his entire workflow? Or as I basically, you know, I'm reading a book now right now called the Jobs to Be Done Playbook, which I'll highly recommend. But but really, what are what is it that they're trying to achieve? And how can we apply our technology and our actual also legal expertise in combination to that to now drive that value for them? And whether that's being more efficient, whether that's getting more insights, um, et cetera, et cetera. Also, another, another technology that people take for granted, but for us it's also very important, is to shift to the cloud. And remember that particularly for legal, legal uh, and regulatory, and particularly to the legal software side, um, it used to be very much an on-prem business, and now we're with the with the technology of cloud, which has infinite scalability, ubiquitous access. That really allows us to further amplify that integration across the workflow. So those are those are really things I get very very excited about. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just to build on that, Linda. One thing that I that I really love uh, that we're doing at the moment is is the all of the work around the digital digital workspace. Which is, you know, I think uh, Rohir made a very valid point that, you know, we are as a provider, um, we're used to uh, delivering point systems to our customers. So, you know, if I look at the navigator or cheetah or individual products, the reality is that our customers are working within a, an ecosystem where they use sometimes multiple tools from from Clear, from our competitors, um, and they expect that those tools work work together. And I think we have now the opportunity to technology to seamlessly integrate them. And I think that's obviously adding value for the customer. It's increasing our relevance to them. So I think that's that's really exciting stuff that's just enabled by the things that have come along in the last number of years. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and actually, so <laughs> when Martin says that, and, and again, I think this is a topic that's very always very close to Martin and my mind, our hearts. Uh, it's also the simple things. This is one that I recently um, saw at, at one of our other divisions. Uh, really, really had stellar growth. That's that's our chatbots. And when you think about that, about conversational AI, how do we then start to apply um, kind of machine learning, natural language processing, so the ability to to really have a computer understand what the person is typing or even saying through enabling you know, text to speech and speech to text, and then guiding a user to their answer. So instead of them really having to go in and search, now it can be much more conversational, which again, when you start to think about it, would mean a, again, we can have much more value already at the client intake process or support processes where we can really help our clients reduce uh, the load on their on their customer support desks, et cetera. So there's tons of stuff that now become available to us in, in such a almost like modular way that we can start building and augmenting the human expertise that we have with technology and then really applying it to adding the value to the workflow that our customers are having. 
You know, successful innovations receive the most press. Uh, I would say we've all heard about the success that Uber, Amazon, Netflix, and, and Google have. But realistically, uh, you know, there was a recent Bain study that between 70 and 90% of innovations fail, but they never get a press release. Uh, and no one can pinpoint which innovations are going to be breakthrough. Um, what role does trial and error play in innovation? Uh, Martin, would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's critical. I mean, firstly, um, I think trial and error is obviously, you know, the way sometimes to identify the things that are not going to work and kill them early, which is obviously from, a, from a, an investment perspective as important sometimes as decisions. Decisions you make on what you do are equally as important as decisions you make on what you don't do. So I think from just a, a fail early um, perspective, critical. But I think it's also interesting from a perspective of um, even with the products that are successful, uh, sometimes you know what you start out to deliver is often not what is not actually what you deliver. And I've, I've had an experience of this with uh, my former company. I brought a product to market called Pharmapendium which was in the pharma space, and it was geared towards uh, helping uh, pharma practitioners, clinicians, um, discover the drug safety or the efficacy of drugs. And, and what we learned is that as we went through the process, it turned out to be a very successful product. So I think that was, that was great. But what we learned in, in that whole process was that what we thought was valuable to customers turned out to be less val valuable than, than um, we had imagined. And vice versa, certain aspects of the product, we thought, okay, this is a nice to have turned out to be the need to have. And I think it's also down to um, the customers don't always know what they want. So you can you can talk about something, you can tell them what you're going to design. They can tell you with great conviction, okay, this sounds great. You know, you build it, we buy it. But then when they actually see it, they have a different reaction. And then when they use it, the reaction can change again. So I think that's a, a process whereby... Um, if you talk to any successful innovator, it's never a straight path to ultimately to success. It's got, you know, it, it's a path that weaves left and right. And that's for me the, um, the effect of trial and error. And it's sometimes just, you know, tweaking to get the direction right. But sometimes it's saying, okay, you know, we've tried a number of things. Uh, the customer feedback hasn't been as stellar as we would like. And we need to take a different direction or we need to stop. So I think this is critical. Right. Rohir, did you want to add anything there? Or? Yeah, no, I, I I fully echo, I think, what, uh, what what Martin is saying. And again, when you actually, maybe you were saying it in the beginning, you don't hear that much about your failures. I, I you know, certainly maybe internally we should celebrate our at least our learnings from our failures a bit more, a bit more openly. Now, I think I, I when you ask those things, I'm I'm a firm believer in continuous customer discovery. So, uh, and, and obviously what Marnell's saying, experimentation and learning coming from that. Um, and it's, 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 it's more to do with understanding the outcome. It's more, I would call that outcome-based innovation. So really focus on the, the process and what, what the end result, what, what they're actually looking for. What's the outcome? Not so much the output, but the outcome, if you will. And then set up a process that continuously enables us to learn and understand and to Martin's points to tweak and to say like, hey, if we did this, if we took, took out this step of the workflow, or if we apply um, uh, things like machine learning at this step here, would we be able to get better and, and quicker insights to that customer? That's the stuff that I think is, uh, um, yeah, for me, would really help. Does that mean we're 
we're hitting the mark a lot. No, I think I think it is part of that um, that learning cycle that you have to pivot a lot. I think as well when people ask us and say, "Hey, uh, my project soup to nuts. There was no pivot at all." I don't I, I I don't believe that. Right. I think every step you take, you will be taking pivots, smaller ones, bigger ones. But that basically is the proof that uh, that you are learning. And again, even from the things that we 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 quote unquote felt that we failed. Remember, it takes a lot of courage to pull a bullet in your baby if you're a product owner about something and say, like, look, this is really not going to work. Or to really um, pull the um, to pull the, um, the steering wheel into another direction for pulling in a massive pivot. And I think I think really that's the part where, uh, as an organization, we're taking huge strides in the right direction for for really allowing that to really be more open about that, to also share the learnings across the organization with that. So, uh, no, that's uh, absolutely something that, uh, again, it, it excites me. And at the same time, I see that, uh, that yeah, the, 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 the trial and error or the continuous learning, I think is a, perhaps a better way of saying that, is something that uh, gets a much more central spot in our product development. It's no surprise to us that uh, customers need to be at the center of innovation, and we hear this, you know, all the time. But sometimes customers don't really know what exactly they need. So, would love to hear from your perspective. Um, you know, when should we let the customer lead? But when does when do we lead? Yeah. So, look, I, I think you're right that I think we, we've come on a, a long way in the sense of, you know, any, any innovations that we have um, in, in the customer has to be at the center of it. And that, that's, a, that's a huge step because I remember the days when people would build a product and then say, okay, we need to go and test it with customers. Um, so I think that, that you know, is a hugely, uh, that, that a huge transformation has happened there and I think we now take it for granted. Um but, but I think there is a point where, you know, if you look at um, iterative or incremental innovations, you know, it's very logical. You know, you, you do those, you test them with customers, you iterate, you improve. I think what's probably more difficult is the transformational stuff. Um, and this is where I think we have to be careful uh, in terms of letting the customers lead. Uh, I had a... Um, uh, a former boss, actually, he was the CEO of Relics, and I recall one time in a presentation with them, we were talking about a new innovation. He said, "Look, he says one bit of advice I'd give to you guys is um, only follow your customers if they know where they're where they're where they're going to." And what I see right now in in our business, if you look at um, one of the striking things that come out of the Future Ready Lawyer report, is that you know. Two thirds of our of our customers say that technology for them is critical for the future, and they want to deploy it in their business more than what they're doing today. But one third of them say they don't feel. Only a third of them feel that they are actually um, ready and understand the technologies they want to adapt. Now, that probably is a flag for us, where I think you know it says two things. One, be be wary in terms of how we evolve there. It too, I think it, it means there's an opportunity for us to, to lead our customers to change and to help them to make an adaption in their business because ultimately they're recognized as an opportunity to increase productivity, increase performance. They're not sure how. And so instead of us looking to the customers to how we need to do that or how they should do that, there's an opportunity for us to lead. So I think it's, it's circumstantial. And, and um, I think the the strength that a company like Walter Kluwer has is that we see things obviously from a much more global perspective, especially in markets where our markets are quite local. You know, if you look at in the, in, in the um, 
the legal markets, law is local, the languages we operate in are local, but we bring the global perspective. We know what's happening with technology, we've got all the trends, understanding of the trends, and we can translate that back into, okay, this is what we think this means for you uh, as a customer. And that, I think, is the, the leadership role that we need to take. You know, sometimes uh, folks, and, and maybe Rohir, you can answer this question for us, um, but a lot of times folks think get caught up in thinking about all of the new feature enhancements and bells and whistles that they can add to a product. Um, and uh, maybe sometimes they go overboard when a simpler product may, may be exactly what the customer needs. Um, have you seen this happen before? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and honestly, I've been a, in, in, uh, as I said in the beginning, I've, I've been in sales. So I've been uh, a contributor in the beginning a lot to these. Uh, with this one more feature, um, you know, our, our, our customer will buy this product and this product will be a success. Um, so absolutely, I was on that side, certainly in the beginning. But now I've kind of flipped around. And what I, what I use a lot to, um, to perhaps illustrate this is uh, with, with a remote control. If you take something, uh, if you look at an average remote control, it's full and jam-packed full of buttons that each of them are really competing for your attention. But when you then really look at the ones that you use a lot or actually exclusively, that's probably your volume up, volume down, channel up, channel down, and then power. And nowadays, I guess, also source because you might be switching between different input devices. And that's pretty much it. So, and this actually is a, is a real-life example when I had to teach my, my grandparents, this also a while ago, but I had to teach my grandparents about TV uh, and about the remote control. I literally just taped everything off with exception of those buttons and functions to make it very explicit for them. And that became great. You know, they understood. It became much more intuitive for them to use it in the way that they wanted to use it. And I think this is something that we have to apply to uh, to our products as well to kind of avoid this one more feature and my product will be successful uh, death spiral. Is to is to basically look at things as, hey, if I put something in, what am I taking out? And what I'm putting in does that really add value to the outcome our customer is looking for? And that's just some food for thought for all of us. And it's a difficult one, but but it's a it's a it's also a very interesting trade-off to to think by adding one feature, which feature am I willing to take out? And I think that's a, that's an, an interesting thing to think about. Is there any other advice you'd recommend for our listeners about becoming future ready? Yeah, so um you know I, I, I'm very uh, passionate about development um my my own goal um and I, and I don't i think this is probably something that i that i decided very early on is that i've always had a view that i want to do a job for three maximum five years uh, and i think throughout my whole career I've, I've had the longest job i've ever had was four and a half years um and i've been very fortunate that i you know i was given the opportunity and i sought out the opportunity to do different functional roles so you know I started in production, I went into marketing, I went to sales, product management. So I'm a big believer in that as individuals, and I think potentially as employees, um, you need to continuously think about, okay, how employable am I? Um, if tomorrow my role were to become redundant because it's outsourced or because an apartment is closed down or whatever, um, can I, you know, how employable am I? What's my plan B? Could I, um, how long would it take me to step into a new role? And 
I think that's a mindset set that um, I think people don't always have. You know, I always get worried when people get almost too comfortable doing what they're doing. Um, and sometimes they cannot see themselves doing something else. And even worse, their managers can see them doing something else. And that, I think, is, is where you have to, when you get to that point, I think you have to be asking yourself, you know, how, how healthy is this? Um, you know, what should I be thinking about uh, to create other, other avenues of opportunities for myself? Yeah, maybe and maybe to, to add to this and just coming actually back to a port, part that Martin you mentioned before, I think one of one important thing that I, I would recommend to to everybody is is find a, a coach in inside the organization or outside of the organization. Um, somebody that you could reflect on your own um, development, somebody again outside of your normal uh, uh, management chain. That, that you can start having a conversation about, hey, how am I developing? What am I doing? Um, what would do to your terms? What would be my plan B? Um, I think those are the things that, that really helped me along uh, the lines. I, I've always been fortunate to have great uh, coaches and mentors. And you'll be surprised at how, how much people like to do that. Oh, yeah. I love oh, being a mentor because I know what the talent is. Martin and Roy here. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and speaking with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode and make sure to subscribe to our Walters Kluwer channel on SoundCloud.